to Music 316 for Monday the 9th of November 2009. Well, maybe we'll start with sound without any pictures. This is music from Southeast Asia, example one. and some of the sizes are very big. This is from the China-Southeast Asia borderland. Oh, and we had seen this already. This is a mouth organ from the Yi people, um, just on the Chinese side of the border. Nashi people in Yunnan. That's a lot smaller one. The Kuxian just has a few pipes. So you can have quite a bit of range of variation in size of these mouth organs up in the hill country of Southeast Asia, but down in the low country areas where the cities are, you tend to have bigger mouth organs like this one with more than a dozen pipes. This one is used for a lot of traditional arts and also for this modern kind of dance theater. See how long the mouth organ is, big pipes, and it has a deep sound. This kind of performance is based on based on songs sung by men and women as a kind of a contest with each other. In this modernized form, it's put together into a sort of drama that's acted out by one man and one woman. to the accompaniment of the mouth organ.
So there the mouth organ is used, is used as an accompaniment for singing, it's almost like a strummed, uh, strummed guitar or strumming on a lute. And it can be used that way because, as with the Western mouth organ, you can play several notes at the same time. And so you can play harmony with the mouth organ of patterns of notes at the same time, and you can play chords with it. You can also play something called counterpoint, and counterpoint literally means against. That means that you can play two independent melodies, one going up at the same time as another one that goes down, independent melodies. And there's a simpler form of counterpoint where instead of two ind independent melodies going in different directions, you can have a melody that goes up and down against another part that stays on the same note. This kind of relationship of a moving melody to one that stays on the same pitch, the same pitch one is called a drone. Beep, buzz, red light, danger. I just used a word that you want to avoid or treat with great care because drone in everyday American English means different, something I don't understand, something strange or unfamiliar or weird to me. And therefore, because I am the judge of everything, I say, that's boring, that's a real drone. No. Almost nothing is a drone. Nothing you hear, nothing you encounter on the street, nothing that is played in your music class that you feel totally lost in all the time is a drone. Because a drone doesn't go up and down like this, and it doesn't move around like that in a melody, and it doesn't swing low, sweet chariot, or it doesn't. Oh, my darling, oh, my darling, you are not a drone, Clementine. It's drone is just a single note that goes on and on, and it never changes, and it's always the same. And you think it's got to go up, but it doesn't go up, and you think it's maybe going to go down, but it doesn't go down, and it's always the same, and it stays the same all the time. And you think, well, that's got to stop sometime. It's going to kill me if it doesn't stop or if it doesn't do something new, but you know it never changes, and it just goes on and on and on. And it's nothing but a drone, because it drones on and on at the same pitch, at the same height, and it never goes up, and it never goes down, and it's always going to stay the same. And you ask, well, is he ever going to stop doing this? And no, you can't because it's a drone and you can't stop doing a drone. You have to keep doing a drone. A drone is like eating some kinds of addictive food or maybe consuming some kind of illicit substance that hooks you and you can't get away from it. And you have to stay with it and keep going and going and going probably until you drop dead, until everybody else in the room drops dead and there's nothing but a bunch of skeletons sitting here <laughs> in the chairs with their brains emptied out by this drone that they couldn't get away from, even when the bell rang, because, oh, the bell was a drone too. It was always the same pitch and it never changed. And so on. so I don't know what to do about that, but that's why drones are dangerous. Drones can kill. Drones can destroy every cell in your brain. Drones are thankfully very rare in the world, very rare in music. You almost never hear a drone. But drones are so beautiful on the rare occasions when you hear them. 
just listen to how the melody in this example, example one, goes up and down against a drone that always stays the same. Up and down, up and down, and it always stays the same, and it never changes, and it's always the same. How does that work? You've got all these pipes. The pipes only make a sound. You're blowing into all of them at once, but they only make a sound if you cover a hole on each pipe with your fingers. So you just move your fingers around to play the melody. Up and down, up and down, as you change from one pipe to another. But there's one pipe that you never touch because the hole is covered up with beeswax. That's right, wax from a honeycomb made by bees. And that hole is plugged up, and so that pipe is always going to play. And what's it going to play? It's always going to play a drone that never changes and never stops and always stays the same and drives you crazy, etc., etc. That's what the drone is all about. So the drone then becomes a kind of a ground, ground point against which you measure your melody. You can see how high or low you go. It's like a compass pointing you to a musical home on one note. And you can even put in counterpoint up here and have an independent melody going on. You can have two independent melodies going on besides your drone. This one right here is what I was trying to point to. And then you've got your drone down here. So you can have three parts going on, two independent melodies and a drone. And the best players on this instrument, called the ken in Laos and other parts of Southeast Asia, the players on this instrument can play two or three parts, including melody, perhaps a counterpoint melody, and a drone part. So you get a sound almost like a Western church organ out of it because it is playing melody, harmony, and counterpoint all at the same time. The piece that the player here is playing is called In the Current of the Mekong. And you've all heard of the Mekong, the famous river that flows down out of Tibet and China into Southeast Asia, down the border of Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam, and out to the ocean. So this is a piece of program music that pictures the Mekong River flowing, flowing along through the countryside of, South Asia, of Southeast Asia. remotely like this in East Asia. There are 
with some harmony played by the mouth organ, especially in the Japanese Gagaku Orchestra, but we never heard any counterpoint being played by any instrument. And this is something that belongs to a different musical world. This is a different musical culture down here in Southeast Asia that is very different, that doesn't remind you in the least of what was going on up in East Asia. And we'll find that Southeast Asian music is different in many other ways as well. Let's take a look at some more kinds of performance in Southeast Asia. This is another bamboo instrument. This is called Jew's harp or Jaws harp. It's found all over the world, actually. Some places it's made of metal. Down here in Southeast Asia, it's made of bamboo. This is actually three Jaws harps bound together, and she's playing two of them. There, he's playing all three. is another instrument that produces a drone and if you heard the instrument by itself that is if the player played it out here at arm's length away from her face or his face all you would hear would be a drone because it only produces one instrument by itself but when you put it into the opening of your mouth and change the shape and size of the inside of your mouth you can get it to produce different overtones, that is, a tone on top of the main tone. Because you can do the same thing when you sing. You can sing a, a, a drone. Oh, and you can change the shape of your mouth. Oh, and you can get that high, soft sound that sounds almost like whistling or like a flute in the background. And that is just a, a, a harmonic resonance of the main sound, of the drone sound that I'm singing. That's how the, that's how the jazz harp works as well. It's making one main sound and the player 
changes his or her mouth to resonate those different overtones and produce that high melody sound. So it's an instrument that you get a lot of musical mileage out of for very little material expenditure. And that's why it's a favorite instrument of nomads all over the world, of people who move from one place to another and have to travel light and not carry around a whole bunch of heavy things. You don't find an instrument like that in a camp of nomads who have to move around all the time. You need small and lightweight instruments. Here's a unique Southeast Asian bamboo instrument. That's a reed instrument. You can tell by the, the raspy, reedy sound. Um, and it's got all of these tubes going down here to give you a really long sound wave because it has to be a long wave to be slow and deep sounding like the sound you get out of this instrument. So those are examples of just some of the many different ways you can use bamboo for musical instruments. Of course, in Southeast Asia, you often put bamboo instruments together with metal instruments. So here's um, a metal gong, and there's a um, round, short-necked lute that's, that's like one that is played in China, except, a lot, except this one is larger. past them. <coughs> now this is actually a Japanese shakuhachi, or a flute that's based on the Japanese shakuhachi because someone in Southeast Asia heard the shakuhachi being played and said, wow, that's cool, well, I'm going to make one of those. And so they started playing this. But you see that curved bottom there, just like on the Japanese shakuhachi, and there's a notch up at the top that he's blowing into. So there's a bamboo instrument, and Oh, here we go. This is a xylophone made from bamboo tubes, cut to different lengths to play different notes. And this is called an unclone. It's bamboo tubes cut to specific lengths and mounted in a frame so that when you shake them, they produce uh, different pitches and different combinations of sound. So here's an all bamboo orchestra. Unclone are found in different parts of Southeast Asia. This one is in uh, Vietnam. Uh, they're also found in Indonesia and Malaysia um, and other areas in the Southeast. 
Here's a different kind of string instrument not made from bamboo. We saw this one pictured among the instruments of the Silk Road. It's a harp with a body that's shaped like a boat and a neck that curves up out of the body and back here in this very graceful curve. And the strings come at an angle down like this. This is the most famous harp left in Asia that still survives because most of the harps that migrated east from from the Mediterranean and the Middle East into Asia, most of those harps disappeared over the centuries. And today this one in Burma is the leading harp, the, the most famous of all the harps that still exist in Asia. It's a classical instrument in Burma, very beautiful instrument, both um, sonically and visually. It's just a classic of visual design. musically from all these other instruments. Southeast Asia is home to a great variety of different kinds of theater. This is a puppet dance because not all theater is performed by human beings. Not all dances are performed by human beings. These are big puppets, almost life-size. See the guys up on the roof? Working the strings to make the puppets dance. There are many kinds of puppet theater in Southeast Asia. I'm gonna skip ahead. There's also animal theater. This is a monkey theatrical piece. I'll point out that no monkeys were beaten in the performance of this piece. Please. The handlers tap their sticks on the table to give a rhythm for dancing. Monkeys are trained as acrobats. And here's the orchestra. Metal guns. A double reed elbow. A set of drums. More drums, oh, there's some of the drums. 
This is tune set of drums. How do they do this? Well, there's a guy under the water who takes a really deep breath. No, that's not true. There's a guy over here behind the spring who holds on to sticks that go down and under and come up under the puppet and he moves the sticks around to make the puppets move. And of course, there's somebody else back there playing the flute. There's the water buffalo coming out to plow the rice paddy. And people planting and harvesting. So theater is always, almost always accompanied by live music from one form or another. And so it's one of the, the richest venues for a musical performance in Southeast Asia. Some of the performances are very simple in terms of their storyline. I mean, this is basically just scenes of village life and a war, a war scene, a fighting scene. Ah. Not bad, huh? Okay. <laughs> And some of the theater plays have more complicated stories. Where do they get their stories from? Well, some of them are local stories, and some of them spread into Southeast Asia from other parts of Asia. And the biggest influence on Southeast Asia performing arts was from India, where different kinds of arts, including music and dance, and especially theater, came in. And the main Indian influence on Southeast Asian theater was through two Indian epics, 
Mahabharata and Ramayana. An epic is a long story. In fact, it's endless, really, because you can just keep adding stories onto, the, onto an epic once you have the basic characters and plot outline. You can think of Superman and Batman as epics, because where, what's the end of the Superman story or the Batman story? Well, there isn't any because you can you always make another film about Superman or Batman, right? You've got, you've got your basic characters and you just keep adding on and adding on and adding on. So there are these two stories from India. Mahabharata is about a war between two families that includes the Bhagavad Gita or Song of God where one of the characters in the war suddenly reveals himself to be God and delivers a message from God that becomes one of the most important scriptures of the Hindu religion, the main religion of India. Ramayana is a story about a prince, Rama, and his wife, Sita, and his brother, Lakshmana, I won't write that, who are sent into exile in the jungle and what happens to them there. Let's take a look at the first of three versions of Ramayana from Southeast Asia. These are three different versions of the same basic story, and they're done in three different ways by people in three different countries or cultures with three different ways of, pre of presenting the story. The first one is a puppet performance using shadow puppets from the island of Java in Indonesia. And these are shadow puppets. They're projected on the screen with a light behind. This is Prince Rama. This is his wife, Sita. Rama is the prince of an Indian kingdom and his father's favorite son out of his hundreds of children. But the father marries another wife. He already had dozens of wives. And the new wife said, oh honey, I love you so much. And the king says, yes, I love you too. And she says, really, would you do me a favor? He says, I'd do anything for you, baby. And she says, well then, kick out Prince Rama, send him out of the country into the jungle and put my son on the throne and set it him. And the king being a true king who always keeps his word, says, well, even though I love Rama, I've got to do what I said I would do, or I would be a false king. And so he sends Rama with Sita, the wife, and Lakshmana, the brother, out into the jungle, where they're living alone, and they're spotted by someone else. Who is it who finds them in the jungle? And what happens next? Well, we'll find out tomorrow.